Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Don P. Uh, hi, I'm Don. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Don. I uh, brought along some uh, pictures to prove it. <laughs> I did not think it was possible that I could ever not eat compulsively and not be grossly overweight. My whole life experience told me that it wasn't. From the time as far back as I can remember as a little kid, I thought I was fat. There were pictures of me that I've seen uh, where I wasn't when I was maybe four years old, but I don't remember it. And all I remember was a feeling of being enormously overweight and very self-conscious about it. I remember distinctly that people would turn around and look at me on the street. I was proportionately much more overweight as a kid than I ever was as an adult. I was hustled off to a section that they called euphemistically husky in the stores. And to this day, I don't like shopping for clothes because of the memories of those experiences. Uh, nothing fit. Uh, it was awkward. Uh, it was embarrassing. And uh, it was always the guy going, you need a little larger size. And it was totally humiliating. Uh, I got teased at school and learned to cope with it by laughing along with people and making jokes. And it rather worked well in the sense that people stopped teasing me because it wasn't much fun to tease someone who didn't get riled. But it was a very expensive cost inside because of my self-esteem and my own sense of who I was and what it was about. I knew from the time I could think about it that I was very different from all my friends. Uh, They would say things that I'd consider near brain damaged, like, um, I'm really full. (laughs) or uh, I can't eat anymore, or they would leave things on their plate. And I wouldn't leave anything on my plate or your plate or anybody else's plate. It was just that I knew something was different. They, They would stop eating and I couldn't, and I didn't want to. I was a kid in the 1950s and uh, like to think of myself as a pioneer of eating in front of the television because we had one of the first televisions on our block. (laughs) And I used to take food on a little TV tray and sit there and eat in front of the TV. And like all pioneers, you endure hardships. There were were no remote controls in those days. The uh, other thing that I had in my head was um, somehow that if I got thin, everything in my life would get fixed. Uh, would suddenly people would like me, girls would like me, I would be socially, uh, you know, um, glib, and everything would be just fine. Um, I didn't actually know that because I never was able to get any kind of thin until actually, probably until I got to uh, to college. And the only reason I got really thin, I mean, I would have diets. I mean, I would lose some weight, and uh, and then it would come back uh, with more. Uh, I think of it sort of like borrowing money at the bank. You pay it back with interest. I'd lose 10 pounds and gain 12 or 13. And when I got to college, a very well-meaning family friend doctor gave me a prescription for uh, for what was essentially an amphetamine speed-type pill. 
And it worked great as an appetite suppressant. I had absolutely no appetite at all. I was, of course, flying around the room, um, but I had no desire to eat. And, of course, I lost an enormous amount of weight because I was eating like one salad for dinner, and that was it for the day. But I noticed something really interesting. The whole time that I was going through this and taking the pills and and, uh, feeling like I was losing weight, I kept thinking about food. And I didn't have an appetite, but I go, well, but, you know, what about this? And it was just sort of this, this loop of film running in my head. I was always thinking about the food. So even, even when I wasn't eating, it was an obsession, although I didn't know at the time what to call it. I just knew that that's where my head went, and that's what it was about, and that's kind of what I was doing. So, of course, the pills worked as long as I stayed on them. As soon as I went off the pills, all the weight came back and more. And that, apart from the humiliation of it, was one more chapter in this. Uh, I got into graduate school, and one of those little switches turned. There there was kind of a switch in my head that I found every once in a while that I would, like, get into a diet mode, and I'd be able to do it for a while. And I go, okay, I got it this time. I'm going to figure this this time I got it. I figured out the gimmick. I got it. And it's been humiliating my whole life in terms of the weight because in virtually every other area of my life, when I've wanted to achieve something, uh, I've gone, okay, this is where I want to get to. This is the goal. What are the steps between here and there? Here's what i got to do. Map it out. Knock it out. Do it. And I've had, you know, school came relatively easy for me. I've had a, a long-term successful marriage. I love my family. And when it came to the food, I would get my ass kicked by a bowl of tortilla chips. It was just like, I don't, I don't understand. There must be a gimmick. There must be something that I haven't gotten. There must be a way to do it. And I would continue doing the same thing over and over and getting the exact same result and getting knocked down and not understand it and go, I don't get it. I I can do it elsewhere in my life. Why can't I do it here? What's the difference? I would make these solemn oaths on a Sunday night and I'm on my diet and I'm ready to go and it was gone by lunch on Monday when I was well. I've already blown it so I may as well fill in the blank Um, because that's kind of how the cycle went and that's how it went and I did not get it and I didn't understand when I was a kid, I had a fantasy that I still remember to this day of thinking of this gigantic banquet of, of food on a table, and everything, every bite that I took, would be, I'd lose a pound of weight. I mean, it was sort of the ultimate fantasy of, you know, there's got to be a way to eat exactly the way I'm eating and lose weight. Now, you would think that if you have any kind of analytical mind, you, th- th- at least I, would have been able to understand a fairly simple formula. If you eat more calories than you're burning, you're going to gain weight. It's actually pretty simple. Executing it, however, was impossible. Uh, it doesn't matter how logical it is. It doesn't matter the fact that it's simple and that I can just sort of spell it out to you like I just did. I couldn't do it, and I didn't get it, and I didn't understand it. And I, I, a friend of mine who is a, a medical doctor and a psychiatrist uh, once said to me, he said, you know, you're just genetically programmed to be overweight. Hmm. He said, it's, uh, it, some of us are. He said, back in the caveman days, you see, you would have made it through a tough winter and the, the scrappy, thinner program people would have died off. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, so this is going to be a great pickup line for a girl. You know, I can make it through a long winter. <laughs> it, it was... Uh, it was, I think, uh, meant to be encouraging, but um, it didn't come out that way. It came out as just sort of a give up. There's no chance. You're never going to be able to do it any other way. Um, and so it went on and on and on. Uh, and I would keep doing the same thing. But anyway, uh, at one point in, uh, in grad school, I, I got into this mode 
where something clicked and I was really into dieting. And I started thinking, okay, it's going to be different this time. I'm going to eat three meals a day and they're going to be healthy and I'm going to eat exactly what I want. I'm just going to do it more in moderation and I'm going to do a little bit here. And, uh, and, and it, it, it worked. I mean, you know, suddenly I was eating and I was feeling good and weight was coming off and I got it this time. Got it this time. I think it lasted about two and a half years. And then slowly the weight crept back and there I was back heavier than I was again, feeling once again humiliated. Maybe 10 years after that, I got into another mode. And this time I started exercising and going, okay, I'm going to exercise and I'm going to eat uh, normal and I'm going to do this right. And same, same routine, but I, got, I managed to get four years of doing it like this. And it went away back to ground zero when I remember standing at a, uh, a, a party with a friend of mine who was also an overeater. And I was eating a dessert because I had sworn I was going to eat everything in moderation. And he goes, boy, as skinny as you are, you should eat two desserts. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> and literally from that moment, it was gone. Uh, it, it slowly crept back a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, hey, what's, what's a bit going to matter? I've been good. I, am, I deserve and so on and so forth. And pretty soon all the weight was back. And there I was still exercising and, uh, and weighing the most that I'd ever weighed in my life. I uh, came into program uh, a little over 12 years ago, and I had known about Overeaters Anonymous a good 10 years before I ever got here. I didn't come for a very simple reason. My ego would not fit through the width of the door. (laughs) My head was still in the place that went, you can do this. Come on, what's what's the matter with you? Uh, You just haven't figured out how. You haven't got the gimmick. You haven't got it. Uh, Star Trek starts out with a thing that says space, the final frontier. And I kept thinking of my weight as the final frontier. You know, I've been able to figure the other parts out. Why can't I figure this out? There's something wrong with me. I ought to be able to do it. I shouldn't have to go someplace and have to depend on other people to do it. I should be able to do it. I, I should be able to do it. And so... I kept putting it off and putting it off, and then one day I literally remember lying in bed, feeling this enormous stomach, and going, you know what, I give up. Uh, I really can't do this by myself. I've got to try something else, because everything I've done my whole life has not worked. So I went to a new, I, I called up um, LA's Overeaters Anonymous phone line, there were, this was before the internet, and uh, there was this like 20 minute recorded thing of all the meetings that were coming up that week. And there was a newcomer meeting. And so I went to this newcomer meeting on a, a, a rainy Saturday. And it was dark inside. And it was rainy. And I, uh, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I just thought, you know, I, I was thinking of every reason why I didn't have anything in common with anybody there. And uh, I just thought, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm out of here. So I, I, at the end of the meeting, I'm bolting for the door, and this tiny little lady named Doris, who used to be around, who was uh, in her 90s at the time, gets between me and the door and <laughs> sticks her finger up in my face and says, don't leave before the miracle happens. And I thought, I have no idea what you're talking about. But it was intriguing, and I thought, all right, I'll give this one more try. And the next day I went to a meeting, and it was sunny, and it was shining, and people were laughing, and I thought, you know what? There's something here, and I don't quite know what it is, and I noticed something else, that in the 24 hours between the meetings, my food had calmed down a little bit. I thought, well, wait a minute. Um, if, I, and if I show up at these things, you know, maybe something will happen, although, frankly, my attitude was, how quickly can I get in here, learn how to do it, and get out? Um, because that's the way my head works. My head is, I want to set a goal, I want to achieve it, and I want to move on to something else. 
And as it turns out, this program is much more experiential than that. It's not so much a, uh, a program that you come and learn and then go do on your own. It's something that we all have to do for each other, but I'll talk more about that in a little bit. At the Sunday meeting, they gave uh, chips away for 30 days of abstinence, 60 days of abstinence. And you've probably gathered by now I'm pretty goal-oriented. So <laughs> as soon as I saw they were giving chips, I want one of those. I have to figure out how to do it, so I'm motivated to do it. Um, I, I picked a sponsor very scientifically. He was the only one who came up to me. Um, <laughs> and he said, if you'd like to call me, here's my number. And I started calling him, and we've been, uh, we've been, uh, he's been my sponsor for 12-plus years, right from the beginning. Again, I had no idea what was going on, but I saw things that I'd never seen before. I saw people who'd lost 250 pounds and had it off for 20-plus years. Uh, I saw people laughing about uh, overeating. I saw people talking about it in a way that I had never heard people talk about it before. I heard my innermost sort of secret thoughts. Uh, verbalized by other people and thought, wow, I'm not the only weirdo out there. <laughs> um, it, it, other people think the same way I do. The analogy that I like to think about is take someone who is blind from birth and tell them what the color orange looks like. You can't do it. We don't have a common vocabulary. They don't have the same experience that we do in seeing colors, right? Well, to me, it's the same thing with the overeating. Someone who is not a compulsive overeater doesn't understand how I feel about food. The brilliance of the program is that we can speak each other's language and within a few minutes, or certainly within a few hours, we understand each other. We understand that we have a common disease. We understand it in a way that people who aren't compulsive about food can't. Uh, I'm not a compulsive gambler. I don't understand how people would lose their house. Those people don't understand why I can't stop eating when I'm not hungry and when I know it's going to put weight on me and when I know it's going to hurt me in terms of my health and my overall well-being. They don't get that. Uh, I understand why they don't get it. They don't have that experience. They don't have my compulsion. They don't have my addiction. I didn't know it was an addiction or compulsion at the time. I didn't realize that what I would do when I was a night eater, I was come home, eat dinner, not stop eating until I went to sleep. I was essentially using it as a drug to anesthetize myself, smooth, uh, smooth out the, the, the feelings of the day, calm the nerves, just get myself into the same kind of state that I could have gotten in with a drug. Um, but my drug of choice was food. Uh, legal, available, not quite so socially uh, uh, unacceptable as some of the other drugs, uh, but just as deadly, just perhaps not as obviously and not as uh, dramatically, um, because the bottom, at least, that I hit wasn't as dramatic as you know, people I've heard uh, share in other programs. So it, it, it's a very different kind of a disease, but a disease nonetheless. So um, I really didn't know what I was doing with this, I, and I, I was scared of it. I said to my sponsor, um, I'm a little worried about the ninth step, because I'd heard you have to go apologize to everybody you hurt in your life, and, and I couldn't think of anything that sounded more humiliating. And he said, Don, you're not on the first step yet. <laughs> and I said, so I shouldn't worry about it, right? And he said, well, you can if you want to. <laughs> But wait a bit, why don't you just wait till you get there? And uh, for those of you who haven't gotten there, by the time you get there, you're prepared for it, and it is uh, not nearly as frightening as I had anticipated it would be, which is true of most things in life, um, because when I'm living in the future, I'm, uh, I'm worrying about things that haven't happened, and, uh, and it, it, it messes with my serenity today when I'm not, in fact, facing whatever it is that I'm so worried about. 
But uh, so uh, anyway, I was uh, I, I got it pretty quickly. I got abstinent almost immediately. Uh, it, to be blunt, it felt a little like a diet club. I was wanting the, 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 the little chips and I wanted the trophies and I wanted the, the score. But that's what worked for me in the beginning. And when I was taking a 60 day chip and I got up and uh, and started to talk literally as I was walking up there to, to take it. I had this thought that had not occurred to me. It was one of those things where you don't notice something that's not there until all of a sudden you realize it's not there. I mean, it's like when my, I was a little kid and my stepfather was teaching me how to ride a bicycle and he'd hold the back of it and, and I'm riding along happily and turn around one day and he's a half a block behind me. And I didn't realize he'd let go of it. What I realized is that every time I lost weight prior to getting into program, every single time I lost weight, all the times I was describing to you, I felt this spring winding up inside me, getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I felt like I was in a prison. I felt like I was trying to graft some artificial personality on the mind, and I could never live with it because it was so incongruent with who I was. It was so different from anything that I felt or knew or understood that it was just squeezing myself into this tiny place where I couldn't, uh, I couldn't live and then exploding and going out and eating and binging and putting on all the weight and then some because I was finally out of prison. And I suddenly realized as I was taking a 60-day chip, I didn't have the spring winding up. I thought, that's extraordinary. I literally hadn't noticed it because it wasn't there. And I realized there's something really different going on. And the difference was, I can articulate it now even though I couldn't at the time, the difference was that I was having the obsession removed. There's a thing in the big book about Bill saying, I want, the, uh, I want this taken out root and branch. And it's not just trimming the, 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 the leaves, but really ripping out the roots of the issue. And through working the steps in this program, I got relief from the obsession. It wasn't that I was now, you know, uh, suddenly had willpower, because my willpower when it comes to food is virtually non-existent. It was that I suddenly had the obsession lifted. Now, it doesn't go away permanently, and that's where the sort of graduating part of this gets me in trouble, because when I get cocky, it suddenly it comes back, and in fact it has. I'll describe that in a minute as well. But it's that it really was gone. It was suddenly not there. It was suddenly the drive to eat wasn't there. And what I've gotten from this program is that if I do the deal on a daily basis, if I do a few simple things to keep my program fresh, and to stay accountable, and to stay responsible, and to stay in touch, and keep out of my own head with what I'm trying to do, I get relief on a daily basis. I had a uh, sponsee who had this brilliant gift for analogy, and what he used to say was, I can't be clean today on yesterday's shower. And that really struck me, because it's true. It doesn't matter how many years of recovery I have. It doesn't matter what I did over the last few days. It only matters what I do now. It only matters that today I take the action and I call my sponsor and I talk to sponsees and I do some reading from the big book and uh, I read um, from For Today, which is a piece of our literature, in the mornings. A few simple things to stay accountable. I write an inventory on a daily basis and talk to my sponsor about it. Very simple. Probably takes me less than 20 to 30 minutes a day. And in exchange for that, if I do the deal, the obsession gets lifted and really lifted. Uh, not not just sort of masked over and pushed into the corner, you know, struggling, but really lifted. Now, it's not, and I don't want this to in any way sound like been a pink cloud, you know, bumpless ride uh, to, to Happyville, um, because that's anything but true. 
Uh, about a year into the program, I suddenly realized that my pants were getting tight and probably not because they were sh- uh, shrinking, which was my first thought, um, uh, th- but that I was eating more and the meals were getting bigger and they were getting sloppier about the choices. And, uh, and my first reaction was, don't tell the soul. Uh, you got to be the poster boy for OA. Uh, you got to show the great face and, and you shouldn't tell anybody. And fortunately, I realized pretty quickly that I needed to do exactly the opposite. And I had to start telling people, I'm starting to have trouble. I'm starting to struggle. I don't get it. I'm a little afraid. I don't understand. I'm going back to my old habits. And literally, simply by talking about it, the the, the goblins that yap in my head, uh, when they're in the dark recesses, they seem really scary. And they seem big and they seem threatening. When I, like, drag them out into the light, they're relatively small and shriveled. And as long as I can do that, as long as I can get out of my head, because left to my own devices, I can rationalize eating almost anything. I can rationalize a reason why I should do something. I mean, I read, I read a book once, which isn't program literature, that talked about uh, asking, over, uh, you know, asking overweight people, why do you eat, and getting a list of you know, two or three pages worth of, uh, of things like, uh, you know, I, I, I was afraid, I was celebrating, I was uh, this, you know, fill in, I was bored, fill in the blanks. They asked people who were normal uh, weight, why do you eat? And they go, is this a trick question? (laughs) You eat because you're hungry, right? Which, by the way, would probably not have even been number one on my list. I never even, uh, I mean, I never even got hungry. I mean, I I never got to that point. I was so afraid of being hungry that I would eat, you know, to sort of make sure it never showed up. Um, And... uh, I, I, by the way, if, if you haven't been hungry lately, it's really kind of nice. You, know? <laughs> you get hungry and you eat and it feels really good. <laughs> um, knowing only when it's full is a little more challenging, of course. Uh, I, I felt like I was one of those, you know, you go to the gas station and you put a pump in your car and you turn it on and when in the tank's full, it clicks off. Well, I never had one of those little click-off switches. I never knew when my stomach was full. I, I didn't have that sort of device that I gather normal people must have. I'll, I, I assume they do. Maybe it's a myth that they would say, oh, I'm really full, I can't eat anymore. It doesn't work for me that way. So some interesting things happened. As I say, I got lucky. I got abstinent right away. I lost the weight right away. And uh, a couple of interesting things started to happen. Uh, One of them is that uh, the chairs got harder and it hurt more to sit because I didn't have a layer of padding. Um, Another one was that I felt vulnerable. And that was really interesting. Because I was used to having this layer of armor around me. I used to think I'm a big guy. I'm a big presence. And that I, you know, suddenly I felt small. I felt uh, vulnerable. I felt like I was open. I mean, part of that was genuinely losing a layer of armor. Part of it was a feeling that I no longer had the food to sort of soothe the feelings of insecurity and the other things in it. And that's the interesting part. That's the part where the program really began to kick in. Because the program deals with the feelings that come up. I got pretty cranky when I wasn't eating. I didn't realize that's why I was getting cranky, but I did. And it was because I didn't have, you know, my drugs to sort of level things out. I was actually starting to feel the feelings, and they were coming up. And yet, that's what the 12 steps are about. They're about bringing up your feelings. They're about acknowledging them and dealing with them. And knowing that during our life, we feel feelings. There are happy times, there are sad times. Um, We do it together. And knowing that there's a way to deal with that is what the essence of the program is. So to, it, it's, even though it started out to me in my head as a diet club, it, it's, it's not. It's, it, the group pressure, I needed in the beginning. I needed that to get me here, and I needed it to get going. 
But that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, underneath is a program. The expression is it's a million-dollar program. You get it a nickel at a time. Um, because as you're in it, more and more and more gets revealed to you. It gets deeper. It's infinite in that sense. Sort of like learning a game like chess. It's pretty easy to learn to move the pieces. It can take you a lifetime to understand the subtleties and the depth of the game. And, and for me, the program's the same way. Um, if, you know, every time I work the steps with sponsees, I see something new in it that I hadn't seen before. I see something deeper in it that I hadn't seen before. And I don't think that's unique to my experience. I think everybody who's been around a while and been through it has the same effect, is that it, you, it, you feel it. It's, it's, it's a depth and a way to deal with the feelings. And the feelings don't go away. I mean, believe me, I could be back to eating tonight. Uh, you know, there's part of my disease that's waiting for me very subtly to, to say, you know, come on, you can do this. And it's very, very subtle. And it's just a little extra this, and you've been good, and why don't you this, and getting back into a diet mentality of, uh, oh, I didn't eat that, so now I can add this. And, and it, it's not a diet. It's, it's a healthy way of eating and a healthy way of living. I, mean, I didn't expect that part of it. I came here because I wanted to lose weight, period, paragraph. If you asked me the day I walked in, why are you here, it was pretty simple. Was, I want to lose weight, of course. Why, why is anybody here? If you ask me today why I'm here, I'll answer you differently. I'll tell you that two things. One, I want to stop eating compulsively. That's very different. Uh, I can eat compulsively and be thin, as I did the times I would white-knuckle diet and just barely hang on. And the second part is I want to stop obsessing about the food, which is also part of it. Because, as I told you, even when I had no appetite through the amphetamines, I thought about the food all the time. And it was in my head, and it still can be in my head. And I don't want to have to obsess about it. I don't want to be uh, chained to the food the rest of my life. And through this program, I don't have to be. First time ever in my life I've been able to say something like that, feel something like that, feel the obsession get lifted. Uh, I, I do something where when I'm starting to feel a little weird and around something, I'll take a deep breath and say, God, would you please remove the obsession? If I can get myself to just do that, I can feel it lift. It's somewhat miraculous for me, it, uh, it, and yet it's so simple. that, it, And it's also something, by the way, that's not easy to do. I mean, because sometimes when I'm in the obsession, I don't want to have it lifted. I want to go with it. I want to eat. And my disease does not go away and does not uh, sleep very well. It's a light sleeper. So it doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't take much uh, for me to wake it up. And if it smells that I'm a little bit weak, I can feel it stirring <laughs> and coming around after me. So... The thing that I guess I want to say is that the brilliance of the program is we can all do this together, even though we can't do it by ourselves. At least that's my experience. I can get something here that I can't get anywhere else on earth. I can get something from other compulsive overeaters, and I can hopefully give something to other compulsive overeaters so that we all uh, help each other out of this. Uh, the same sponsee that I told you about with the shower had another analogy about if there's an eight-foot wall and I want to get over it, I can't do it by myself, but I can boost you up to the top. And when you're on the top, you can reach down and grab me, and you can pull me over, and suddenly we're both over the wall. Uh, that's how it is with the program for me. Uh, I, I can't do it without coming to meetings. If I go without meetings for a period of time, like if I'm traveling, I feel it. I can feel the obsession coming back. I can feel the, yeah, you've been away for a while, and you don't have to worry about it so much. And, uh, and I know where that leads. I know where it creeps. But intellectually understanding the problem has never done me much good. Uh, intellectually understanding why I was eating has never done me any good at all. <laughs> because it doesn't matter. I can't stop it. 
Uh, yes, I may know that it's irrational. Yes, I know it's not good for me, but I can't stop. Uh, if I could stop, I would have done it on my own. Uh, and believe me, I tried any number of times and did not want to admit that I'm powerless over food. It's, it's very uh, paradoxical that the only way that I get any relief from something I'm powerless over is to admit that I'm powerless over it. It doesn't work logically, and my brain works logically. So that was a tough one for me because I didn't understand. Uh, how can I come in and say I'm helpless and then end up getting help? Uh, but yet it works. It's just that simple. It works. I look around. I see people doing it. Same thing with the bicycle. When I was a little kid, I didn't see how you could have a bicycle on two wheels that you know falls over if, it's, if you just let go of it, riding around, staying upright. And I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. But I look around the neighborhood, and all these kids are riding on bikes, and it seems to be working. I look around the rooms. People are getting relief from their obsession. People are keeping their weight off for long periods of time. Um, people are sharing and doing fellowship. It works. It's that simple. It works. Uh, it takes effort on my part. But what in life that's worthwhile doesn't take effort? Uh, everything in my experience that I've done that has worth or value to it uh, takes effort. And this is absolutely worth it, in my opinion, because of, of what, what I get out of it and, uh, and what everybody else gets out of it. So uh, I thank you for letting me be a share, and I will uh, be happy to take some questions. Okay, the question is, uh, um, what was my experience with God in developing uh, a relationship with a higher power, and what was it like before program? I did not grow up very religious, but I grew up very spiritual. My mother was very spiritual. And so from the time I was a little kid, she would always be talking about what God can do in my life and that I should be listening to God and talking about God. And so the God concept was really easy for me. Uh, I, on the other hand, I had forgotten about it and I had drifted away from it and hadn't done anything about it. When I came back to program, because I didn't realize there was a God part to it until I got here, I thought it was sort of a happy reunion and surprise. So the God part came easy to me. Uh, it was just a matter of sort of going back and tapping into something from my youth. Uh, that was somewhat easy, and when I did, it was, again, a very simple thing. Yeah? Can you talk more about your fear of being hungry? Where do you think that came from? What it represented and how you overcame it? Yeah, the question is, talk about the fear of being hungry, where it came from. I have no idea where it came from, uh, other than it's part of the personality that I've heard other people share about as well, of whatever I have is never going to be enough, that, uh, that, that I, there's a, a deep fear uh, that something's going to get take away from, taken away from me. And that this was that sort of insecurity, that feeling of not being, uh, not being adequate that probably spilled over to the food. Because to this day, if, people, if I'm sitting at dinner and two or three people order the same thing, I immediately see, did they get more than I did? <laughs> so the, the thoughts don't, don't go away. The difference is I don't have to act on them now. Um, so I'm not sure where it comes from, uh, but it's, uh, it definitely lives healthily inside me. Uh, could you say a few words about ego and about when you were in program eating and didn't want anyone to know? Could you talk about that, how you overcame that? Yeah. question is, how did I overcome ego when I was in program eating and didn't want anybody to know? I don't remember specifically, other than that I just was blessed with a, an insight that by hiding it and trying to look good on the outside, uh, I was somehow going back to where I'd been. 
and enough and, and I got the courage to talk to my sponsor about it and uh, and then once I was able to vocalize it it got much easier the hardest part was just doing it the first time and getting it out I, I think it comes out of the steps I, I don't have a specific recollection of exactly how I did it um, but you know it's it, it, the steps are a very humbling experience which is part of what the program's about because my ego is what kept me out of here my ego is what wants to get me out of here um, I heard someone share it when they uh, had a, a 21st birthday of uh, I've got a disease that tells me I don't have a disease and I've got an ego that wants to take credit for my recovery. <laughs> yes? You made a comment that was very interesting about um, God pleasing with my obsession when you are someplace and the food obsession is on your mind. How do you get that awareness? Because I'm sort of like in a trance most of the time. And it takes me, a, I don't automatically know that I'm obsessing. I, I, I can't distance myself from it. But apparently you can. The question is, how, when you're in the midst of an obsession, how do you distance yourself enough to ask for help to, to have it relieved? I think it, it, I think it's a matter of just having done it for a period of time and understanding what the obsession feels like and uh, being open to my sponsor about it initially, which is why it's important to have a sponsor you feel comfortable talking to so that you can share things like, I'm feeling obsessive and I'm starting to feel, and, uh, and even if you can't share it when it's happening, you can share it afterwards, because I always know when I've done it. I always know when I've eaten too much and when the obsession's kicked in. Uh, and the more program I get, the more I'm able to get that, that little shot of, oh, you're about to go there before it happens. Um, whereas before, when I had a, uh, you know, an impulse to eat something, it was in my mouth as I was going, this probably isn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a second or two between the action and the thought, which I never had before. Correct. Yeah. Yes? Um, what would you say your biggest challenge is right now in your recovery? The biggest challenge in the recovery right now? Ooh. Um, good question. I, you know, right now, uh, my food has crept up over the last year, and I've just started again readjusting my abstinence to, uh, to get it back to where it needed to be, and back to making healthy choices. It happened very insidiously, and uh, some weight came on. And so right now, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, eating more healthily and making sure the obsession doesn't come back raging, but, you know, that I can keep calming it down. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, doing service, like on the level of meeting, that kind of service, and the sponsoring people? Sure. Yeah, the question is uh, my experience with doing service. Doing service at the meeting level is really important to get me to the meeting, and it's really important as a sort of humbling experience. It's important... Uh, because, as I sort of indicated, when I first came in here, I was using everything in my head to separate from everybody else in the meeting and, uh, and thinking, oh, I don't understand that and I don't relate to that person and what can they tell me and who are they. And uh, I remember saying to my sponsor about three or four months in, you know, the meetings are really getting better. And he said, <laughs> he said, no, he said, you're getting more open to the program. And he was, of course, absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, for me to go and, uh, and, you know, set up chairs or carry out garbage at a program keeps me reminded that, you know, the, program, the meetings don't exist unless some of us do that. And that it's as important for me to do that as it is to speak, as it is to be a secretary, or it is, as it is to do anything else. Um, my experience with sponsoring people has been that it's wonderful. Um, I mean, I learn as much or more from sponsoring people as I, as I do from, you know, being sponsored. 
um, because I, and it also keeps me having to work the program. I mean, I've got people dependent on me, not really dependent on me, but talking to me as, as a conduit to the program. Uh, and I have a responsibility, and it keeps me centered on my own program because I, I can't give somebody advice that I'm not walking the walk. So it's a very, very powerful tool. Yeah. Thanks so much for being in service. Can you talk about how you practice the 11th step in a particular meditation and any challenges you might have had in that practice? Yeah, I don't do any kind of formal... The question is, how do I practice the 11th step? I don't do any formal <coughs> meditation. It's just not something that appeals to me. I do read four today, uh, every morning. I put my glasses on it so that I can't get very far without it. Um, <laughs> and it reminds me to do it. Uh, and that's a nice way to sort of get into that kind of mode in the morning. And I also... Uh, many days uh, call someone and we read a couple of pages of big book um, so in that sense and then just throughout the day you know I'll take some time and talk to God I mean you know I'll, I'll, particularly if something's stressing me I'll take a deep breath and go uh, there's a great uh, passage in the book on page uh, I think it's 417 of the new edition about acceptance as the answer to all my problems today and that's that to me is a great sort of meditation connection to everything's the way it's supposed to be and I can't I have to worry not so much about changing the world as about changing me and changing my attitude towards happening. Yeah. So what do you do with the open space? Like when, when the food obsession is lifted, there's so much head space. That was freaking wasted on it. And like, do you plug in other obsessions? Or like, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> but you made a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question is, if you get the obsession uh, lifted, uh, what do you do with the with the, the space in your head that was formerly taken up by the obsession. You know, I've never had a problem obsessing about something. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I don't have any other addiction, so I haven't, I haven't turned to anything else uh, in the place of food, but I can certainly get obsessive about a hobby or obsessive about reading or obsessive about, uh, you know, doing whatever it is that's going on in my life, but these are, these are things that, that, you know, give me some joy and some fulfillment and, and don't, you know, add pounds to me. Do you see the logical part of your brain is different from the spiritual part, and do you have trouble reconciling the two, or do you still have to defend the logical part to do the spiritual part? Oh, really good question. The question is, is there a problem reconciling the spiritual and logical parts of my brain? The short answer is there isn't, but I haven't thought about it as articulately as you just put it, so let me for a minute. You know, the logical part of my brain actually knows that the spiritual part works. Um, when, I, when I see myself let go of the logic and turn things over to God and I see things turn out right and turn out well, even though they're not what I wanted or not my plan for what ought to happen, then uh, I see it works. I see things go well. I see my stress level go down. And once I know that happens, the logical part of my brain accepts it and goes, okay, maybe we don't understand why, but we see that it works. Um, yeah. What is your experience with working steps? Um, six and seven. Um, my experience with working six and seven, I have, you know, I haven't worked them for a while, um, which may be a defect in itself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> six and seven are uh, asking God to remove defects and uh, and being ready to have them removed. But, you know, my experience with them, it wasn't it wasn't a huge part of my step work. Uh, maybe that's that's a problem because I, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. But, uh, you know, I, the times that I've had defects that, I've, that have really gotten in the way of my life and I've worked uh, with a sponsor and worked, uh, and worked on them, I've gotten enough relief certainly to get by. I mean, none of us are free of defects. I certainly am not. 
Um, but uh, for the most part, and until they're actually interfering or causing a problem in my life, um, I, I don't deal with them. And then when I do, I deal it by turning it over and, and uh, trying to understand. Once again, I'm trying to direct the world. And uh, uh, A, I wouldn't particularly want that responsibility if somebody actually said you can now. Um, and the other is that uh, I don't have the power to do it even if I really wanted to. So once I sort of accept that, heard a great line. It doesn't quite fit, but I'm going to use it just because it's so good. It said, we're like six billion ants floating on a log downstream, and every one of us thinks we're steering. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me what did you notice about the difference in your relationship once you were in program and working with that as before program? Okay, question is, what was the difference in my relationships uh, pre-program and post-program? Both relationships with family and work. Right. Interestingly, from the outside, I'm going to guess most people wouldn't say there was a huge difference in the relationship. But from the inside, for me, I felt an enormous difference. I felt a real uh, sense of serenity, and I felt a real sense of caring about other people in a way that I hadn't before. I mean, my head, given its default mechanism, is how much can I get for myself, how fast can I get it, and how quickly can I get away from it. Um, and that's how I came in, and that's where my head goes if I, if I leave it to itself. Uh, once I got into program, it was really much more about, you know, what are your needs? Uh, what, what, you know, what's your point of view? I've become genuinely curious. And if I put myself in the other person's place, I, I used to get very upset when someone like a competitor in my business would, would do something and take something away from me or do something that aggressive. And, I, and then I started thinking, you know, when I got into program, if I were in their position, I might do something similar. And it's much harder to get angry at somebody if it's something that I would do. And I, it just, I, I just felt a much more serenity around the situation. I, I get what they're doing. I understand. Um, and I can only let it hurt me to the extent that I let it hurt me. All right. So thank you very much for letting me share.